Okay, well, good morning. We're glad that you're able to be with us as we study together, worship together, exalt God together, and to uh, do those things that he's asked us to do on this, the first day of the week. Uh, as we uh, uh, get involved in our Bible study, I want you to follow along, get your Bibles, follow along, and look at the various passages we're going to look at. And uh, anyway, we hope and trust that our time will be profitable. I'm sure it will, because anytime you study the Bible, you're going to be profited. Uh, well, uh, let me begin by just uh, kind of uh, uh, recounting a, an event just a few years ago. The last time I was in Chile, uh, this brother here, Emilio Cevedo, I was working with him. There was a couple other fellows also. But uh, anyway, I was working with Emilio. These are his uh, identical twin granddaughters, uh, Josefa and uh, Martina. But anyway, uh, in uh, La Machi, Chile, it's, a, it's an interesting city. And uh, in this photo... Uh, this is kind of one of the main avenues going to downtown. It's a, it's a small town, probably about the size of Somerset, something like that. And uh, anyway, these are sycamore trees that line the street there and kind of makes a tunnel. And uh, they're older trees. And on each side you have houses and there's uh, sidewalks and uh, kind of nice and uh, just a real pleasant place. Uh, I really like this uh, place, La Machi. Uh, but anyway... Sometimes they had just uh, fences, and sometimes they were like uh, wall fences. And we were walking to downtown. It was probably a half mile from Emilio's house. And I come across uh, on this one uh, uh, concrete fence, uh, this uh, picture. And for those outside, let me describe what it says. Uh, it's written in Spanish. It says, El amor no existe. And what that uh, means in English, that love doesn't exist. And I, I kept thinking about that. I, I looked at that and I thought, wow, love doesn't exist. I mean, who, who would write that? Why would they write that? And uh, anyway, it just got me thinking. And, and so that's kind of really what our lesson's about, is to talk about this, uh, uh, this graffiti that was on the wall in front of somebody's house, and to look at that and to talk about that uh, love doesn't exist. El amor no existe in Spanish. All right, so when we talk about this uh, phrase uh, that somebody wrote in graffiti in the front of somebody's house on their, uh, uh, their, their wall fence there, the question would arise, why? Why would somebody write this? And who would write this as you would think about it? Well, to my mind, I, it would probably be a young person. Now, first off, the wall was only maybe maybe three feet, three and a half feet tall, so you'd have to be down. And so I would think it would be a younger person. It might be kind of hard, a, an old person that usually don't squat down because their knees and arthritis and those types of things, uh, maybe. So I, I'm thinking a young person. And I'm thinking, you know, old people, maybe like in the nursing home, I mean, do you know anybody in a, in a nursing home who's going to go out to do graffiti art? I, I wouldn't think so. A lot of the residents in nursing homes, they, they have trouble even getting around in, in, a, in a smooth uh, hallways and rooms, etc. Uh, on walkers and wheelchairs and somebody walking with them, etc. So I wouldn't think somebody that's old person. But I think it was some young person that was disillusioned, that was hurt. Different uh, scenarios would come in my mind of how somebody was abused, 
somebody was rejected, they feel bitter. Maybe it's, maybe it's a young kid, a young person that, you know, their parents abused them. Uh, maybe they didn't care for them. They didn't pay them any mind. Maybe it was a boyfriend-girlfriend type relationship. And, you know, either the boyfriend or the girlfriend rejected the other. And so here you have some young person in limited scope of experience, just feels... Uh, dejected, just feels horrible, and just gives up and says, you know, love just doesn't exist. Disillusioned by life, disillusioned by what happened. Now, the Bible does talk about that concept. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 31, where Paul's talking about the sins of the Gentiles here in uh, Romans chapter 1, he says uh, in verse 31 that they were without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Look at that phrase, without natural affection. Sometimes you have people as they degenerate into sin and wrongdoing and wickedness, they're without natural affection. Which, which would be normal and natural for, for parents, for their siblings, for siblings, for their other uh, siblings, for parents, children, for parents, grandparents, etc. Uh, but sometimes, because people fall into sin, and therefore it creates problems, creates problems for those that are trying to do what's right, and uh, for those that are doing wickedly, and it, it creates problems. And so they sometimes feel rejected and they just plummet into moral anarchy. Paul also mentioned this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Notice there in verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. There's that phrase again, without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. I mean, look at all these things when people just plummet into moral anarchy. Who reject God, who reject what's right, uh, etc. And what do you have? People, you know, they become bitter in life. They, they become upset. They, they, they become disillusioned. And, uh, and, I, and I think that whoever this was that on the front of somebody's uh, uh, wall fence there to say love doesn't exist, they were hurting. They, they were really hurting. That would cause them to take the time to, in this graffiti art, to, uh, to write this and to uh, make this on, on the wall there. But really, that's, that's not so. Love does exist. And so what we want to do is just look at some different categories of, of true love that exists, that really does exist in the world that we live in as uh, you examine, as you experience life in a broader fashion. That's why I'm thinking it's a, a young person that writes this because, you know, they're just kind of like blinders on and they're seeing like in, in tunnel vision, just a very narrow view. Maybe their boyfriend rejected them, their girlfriend rejected them, or their parents were abusive. And, and all they're looking is in this narrow tunnel that, well, that's, they just don't think love exists. But when you kind of look round about, it, it, it really does exist. Let, let me suggest some areas. First off, there are parents that truly do love their children. There, there, there are plenty of kids that have been tossed away like rags. 
And that's sad. It's certainly not the majority of the cases in the world, but there are parents that generally have this natural affection, the natural affection for your, for your offspring and for your children. It's normal. It's a, it's a natural thing. Paul talks about this concept there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you look over there, Paul says in number 7, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. You would think of a nursing mother that would take care of her kids, that she just loves and adores these children. It's her offspring. And Paul says, that's how we were among you. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. Now, there are parents that truly do love their kids. I mean, you see that like in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning, you're sleeping sound and it's so sweet, you're asleep and then the little baby starts crying. Well, what do you do? Well, parents, loving parents, they, they will get up. In self-sacrifice, they will get up and uh, attend to the needs by feeding the baby or changing the baby and then feeding the baby, whatever it might be, uh, to help them go back to sleep. I mean, that's what parents do, that they have this natural affection, that have genuine love, that they're willing to sacrifice. If you, if you talk about the term love, love is defined as goodwill, that we have goodwill toward one. That's the idea of love. It's, it's an active goodwill. It's not just merely talking. I mean, talk is cheap. Anybody say, oh, yeah, well, I, I love the brethren. I, I love my family. You know, I love God. But we never demonstrated, well, that's not real love. I mean, parents would say, yeah, I love my kids, but then 2 o'clock in the morning, we don't get up and take care of them. Well, that's, that's not real love, because love is active. You have goodwill. You, you, you love your kids. You, you do well for them. You want to do well for them, and it's active, and it's unconditional. I mean, what's that little baby going to do to repay you for getting up in the middle of the night and losing your good sleep that you were in? Well... Not a lot. Hopefully in time they will, they will learn and love in, in return. But it's an unconditional act of goodwill. That's, that's the idea of love. And kids, uh, sometimes they'll see that. They'll feel that. I think that's the majority of the kids in the world will, will receive that type of love. That, that's the true love that does exist. Now, let's look at a, a, another uh, text in the Bible about this. And this is the story of King Solomon. There in 1 Kings chapter 3, you, you remember God came to Solomon. He was just appointed king and etc. And God came to him and said, Solomon, ask, ask me whatever you want. I'm going to give it to you. It's like writing a blank check. Whatever you want. Uh, it could be any number of things. And Solomon, he prays about it. He thinks about it. And he says, God, you know, I'm, here I'm going to be king. Please give me wisdom to direct the affairs and to be a good ruler, uh, etc. And God was pretty impressed about that. He said, well, you didn't ask for money. You didn't ask for wealth. You didn't ask for the life of your enemies. You didn't ask for a long life. You, you made a good choice asking for wisdom how to deal with people and to be a king and, and to make judgments, etc. Just it was a great, great, great choice on Solomon's part. And so God said, because you made this good choice, I'm going to add riches and long life, etc. If you just follow my will, I'm going to bless you in all these different ways. All right. So that's the story there in 1 Kings chapter 3. Well, here's the first event where Solomon is going to exercise this great wisdom that God gave him. 
And let's pick up here in 1 Kings 3 and verse 16. Then there came two women that were harlots or prostitutes unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, Oh, my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house except we two in the house. So here you just got the, these two women and these two babies, just three days apart. So both very young. I mean, like, I mean, you can tell the difference between a, uh, a newborn baby and, you know, one that's six months old. There, there's a big difference there. But three days apart, you're not going to tell really any difference hardly. But you would, uh, a mama would look and stare at her baby and certainly know who her baby was. And so that was it. No strangers there, nobody else there, just, just them two and two little babies. In verse 19, and this woman's child died of the night because she laid on it. Here, this mama fell asleep and baby next to her and, and she turned over and it smothered the baby and the baby died. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your handmaid slept and laid, in, uh, laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child by my bosom. So here was the, like the switcheroo here. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, I was dead. Behold, it was dead. But when I had uh, looked upon it in the morning, behold, it was not my son whom I did bear. Now, in the middle of the night, you probably wouldn't see. I mean, if you did light a candle, that's not much light. But in the morning light, okay, she recognized, yeah, th this is not my son. Wait a minute. You, you, you switched babies on me. You, you've taken my live baby and you've given me your dead son. And the other woman said, nay. No, 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 no. But the living is my son, and the dead is your son. And the first said, no, but the dead is your son, and the living is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. So here's this, this controversy between the two, and both are claiming that, that the dead baby is the other's, and the live baby is theirs, and they're both saying that, and, and just talking this before the king. Verse 23, Then said the king, The one says, This is my son that lives, and your son is dead. And the other says, Nay, but your son is dead, and my son is living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought uh, a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Whoa. We'll just take this sword, and we'll just cut the baby in half, and give each lady a half of the living child. Well, the real mama... This is, where, this is where love is going to be, true love is going to be manifested. Then spake the woman whose the living child was and unto the king, for her heart yearned for her son. She had so much love for her baby boy. She'd be willing to rather give him up than to see him be divided. And so she said, O oh my Lord, give the living child, and by no means slay it. But the other said, let it be neither mine nor yours, but divide it. Bam. The king figured out. The king come to the conclusion that, yes, she did have this natural affection. She does have genuine love. And the real mother stepped up and said, no, I'd be willing to sacrifice not having the baby, but let the baby live and for the baby to die. Then the king answered and said, give her the living child and by no means slay it, for she is the mother of it. 
And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Yeah, that's a classic example that love really does exist. Yeah, whoever it was that wrote this graffiti, maybe they had a bad experience, whether it was a bad experience with their parents or with a, their, uh, their girlfriend or boyfriend or their spouse. I mean, whatever it might have been. It was, it was bad, and they hurt, and they write this graffiti on the wall. But in reality, this kind of love, parents for children, that will self-sacrifice, and that will do and do. And it's like uh, my, my, youngest, uh, my youngest sister, our youngest sibling, uh, our young, my younger sister, her name was Tyna, and she was born with several palsies. She, could never, she never walked. And she never talked, she, she understood, and she would communicate by shaking her head yes or no. But, but my mom, she, she took care of her, a baby, till she was 19 years old, changing diapers, feeding her, bathing her, etc. That's what we're talking about, parents' love for children. It is, abs- it is evidence that love exists. All right, here's another line of evidence, devoted spouses. In, in marriage, in the marriage ceremony, many of them will say, do you take this woman or do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded wife, your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to uh, love and to cherish in, in sickness and in health and, you know, in the ups and downs and, and for richer, for poor, etc.? Yeah, we make those promises because we don't know what life holds. I mean, life is, is like, sometimes like the ups and downs, the mountains and the valleys. But when people really do commit, yeah, it's evidence that true love does exist of devoted spouses. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about this uh, concept. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let uh, the wives be unto their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. We have that responsibility. Husbands, love your wives. Even as, just as, just like Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ came and gave himself for, for the church and died on the cross. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be without, uh, that it should be holy without blemish. Show all men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Yeah, there, there are true men, real men that will step up and will love their spouses like their own bodies. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let's, uh, let every one of you in so particular love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she respect her husband. Yeah, there is, there, there are, there are, and there are a lot of them. There are a lot of devoted spouses, that is, husbands for the wives and wives for their husbands. You know, Paul talked about the, the, the reciprocal responsibility for wives also, uh, for uh, loving their husbands. In Titus chapter 2, 
in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, The age of women likewise, that they be in behavior, has become a holiness, not false accusers, not uh, given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sensible, to love their husbands, to love their children. That unconditional act of goodwill. There are spouses, there are husbands and their wives that are devoted in taking care of one another. We had a, a neighbor when we lived in Rock Castle. Her name was Ola Phelps. Her husband, Aubrey, he suffered a stroke. Uh, he preached for many years, but then he suffered a bad stroke. And uh, he, he was in the hospital, and he was sitting in a jerry chair, and he, he just uh, sat there drooling and had, had no control. And, and I said, ah, Miss Phelps, y'all just put him in the old folks' home. He, he's never going to be any better. And she, she said, no, I'm not going to do that. And she took him home, and her and her sons worked with Aubrey and worked with him and worked with him. I had to reteach him go, going through different things of just basic things of moving and, and regaining uh, control and, and going through first grade reader books, and, you know, all, the, all this stuff. And, and over the next year, they showed great devotion, and, and Aubrey got to where he could take care of himself and bathe himself and dress himself. He never really got back to preaching. He, he, he was uh, handicapped from that. But, but anyway, he... And he lived for several years after that. And then various problems came and, and it got more than she could handle and he wound up at the nursing home. And so every day she would go to the nursing home to visit her husband, devoted. And I remember I was talking to her one day and she said, I just, you know, I just don't know why the Lord lets Aubrey continue to live. He couldn't do anything, he really couldn't talk and... Uh, you know, as, as he, he got old and, and uh, various infirmities. And she said, I just don't understand why. And I said, Ola, I said, maybe the Lord's letting him live so you can set the good example of what it means to be a devoted, uh, a devoted spouse, to take care and to be there for your spouse. And to set the example for your family, set the example for, for the brethren, set the example for society. This is, this is the way people do. When, when, you, when you promise and say, I do, in sickness and in health, yeah, you're, you're going to be there. And, you know, that, that's, that's love. That was true love being manifested. And yes, love does exist. Whoever wrote this graffiti, they, they had a bad experience. And, and from their limited standpoint, they thought there's no true love. But you just look around. Yeah, it does exist. And uh, uh, devoted spouses. And it works very well. Sometimes it's, it's the man caring for the woman. Sometimes it's the woman caring for the man. And doing the things that they need to be doing until death do you part. Here, here's another one. In the book of Luke chapter 10. The story of the Good Samaritan. What is it? It's a story of somebody uh, demonstrating, practicing unconditional love. That love truly does exist. If you look there in Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, What is written in the law? How do you read? 
And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, You have answered right, this do, and you shall live. Bing, bing, bing. All right, got the right answer. Verse 29, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? That is, he's trying to figure out some loophole, how, how to get around what God teaches. I mean, he answered correctly, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor yourself. But he's trying to figure out how, how to get around that by saying, asking the question, well, who is my neighbor? In verse 30, then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was higher in elevation, Jerusalem uh, than, uh, uh, higher than Jericho. And so he's descending down the, the hill and those little snake path type uh, uh, turns and curves. A great place for thieves to jump on somebody. Well, that's exactly what happened. This man's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. In verse 31, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You think, here's a religious person. Surely this religious person is going to practice, you know, uh, what God commands, love your neighbor yourself. It wasn't that he didn't see him. He did see him. He looked upon him. He didn't beat him up. He didn't kick him while he was down, but he didn't help him either. And likewise, a Levite, there's another religious person, when he came at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. See, no demonstration of love, unconditional act of goodwill. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, Samaritans, they were, they were like the half-breed, that is, they, they were the Jews that were carried off into Syrian captivity and they intermarried with the Gentiles and... And anyway, they, they compromised and all kinds of spiritual matters. And, and so the, uh, the Jews didn't have much use for the Samaritans, though they, they were related. And so Jesus says that a certain Samaritan, as he, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The bowels of compassion, love was manifested toward this man that was beat up. This man was in desperate need. He's half dead. I mean, he can't just jump up and, you know, go home and, and well, the Samaritan, he's going to help him. And so he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, that is, uh, medical uh, procedures, and that is to, uh, to, to, to help, uh, help the wounds that he suffered. Set him on his own beast. He didn't make him walk. and, and uh, No, he let him set on the beast. And, and the Samaritan walked. And brought him to an inn. That is some sort of hotel, residency. And took care of him. And then he had probably some business obligations. Other responsibilities. But he just didn't leave him with, uh, you know. So the next day when he departed, he took out two pence and gave to the innkeeper and said... Uh, unto him, take care of him, and whatsoever, uh, and whatsoever uh, you spend more when I come again, I will pay. So here, here, this good Samaritan, what's he doing? He's demonstrating love, unconditional goodwill. He didn't know this fella. It wasn't that he was going to expect uh, expected to be repaid some way. He just did it because the man had a need.
He had, yes, love does exist. And that's what the Good Samaritan did. And so Jesus asked the question, now, which of, the, of these three, that is, uh, the, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three think you was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then he said, then said Jesus unto him, go and do you likewise. There are good Samaritans in the world. You'll hear about, you'll see uh, occasions and opportunities where people just out of the, the sheer goodness of their heart, uh, of love for fellow human beings, they'll just step up and do extraordinary things to help others, like the Samaritan. Yeah, it's evidence. It is evidence that love truly does exist. Now, whoever wrote this graffiti that love doesn't exist, uh, in their limited scope, yeah, maybe that's what they see, but you know, in reality, love does exist. Let me look at a, another area. Brotherly love. Christians loving other Christians. Sacrificing for brethren. In the book of uh, 1 John, the first epistle of John, in the third chapter there, in 1 John chapter 3, notice there in verse 16 beginning, John says, By this perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see that in the New Testament days. You see that even today, where brethren willingly sacrifice for somebody else, sacrifice for their brethren, their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says in verse 17, But whosoever has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels, shuts up his heart of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And that verse 18 is not this, but this. That is, it's a contrast of emphasis. Let's, let's don't put emphasis upon saying that we love the brethren. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. You know, say, oh, boy, I really love the brethren at Lakeside. I love the saints. You know, maybe someplace you visited, they're just so, so nice. I just, I love them to pieces. Nothing wrong with that. We sing songs about loving one another. Nothing wrong with that. But John says, it's not enough to say it with, in words and use the tongue. No, it needs to be indeed and in truth. See, it needs to be active. It needs to be an active thing. And you see that in the early church where brethren were sacrificing a whole lot for their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I think of that, that classic example over there in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, you, you had these Christian, uh, these, well, these Jews actually came from like 16 different areas of the, uh, of the world uh, for Pentecost, and, and they hung around because, you know, Christianity, this was all a new thing. They didn't say, well, okay, here's your Bible, and, you know, the local churches where they were. No, they needed to learn, so they all hung around Jerusalem to, uh, to be fed and to grow and to uh, gather understanding. Well, there were a lot of needs then began to develop. And so it says in verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them uh, that any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any, that, uh, uh, neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold. So here were Christians locally that had houses and lands. Well, they sold them. 
And they brought this money willingly, freely, to give to the work of the Lord and help carrying one for another. It says, and lay them down at the apostles' feet. And so here they brought and made these great sacrifices. And, and we'll look here just a moment in chapter 5. They didn't have to. But why did they? Well, because of love. Because love really does exist. It exists in the hearts of these brothers and sisters as they willingly sacrifice for others. It says in verse 36, And Joseph, who by the apostles was named, uh, surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted as the son of encouragement, a Levi of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so I, I don't know why that Joseph singled out by name. There were others that would make any sacrifices. I'm thinking maybe he singled out because of, maybe that's all he had. He gave absolutely everything in, in selling this uh, property, having this land, and gave every, every penny to, to the work of the Lord for all his brothers and sisters. What, what a demonstration of brotherly love. Maybe it was just the magnitude of the gift. Maybe he had, you know, you could have, you could have three or four acres out in, uh, you know, Pulaski County. But it definitely has value. I mean, it's not worthless. Certainly it has value, whatever the price of land may be. But if you, if you had three or four acres in downtown New York, downtown Miami, downtown Louisville, Chicago, I mean, any of the big cities, Houston, Dallas, whatever, and you sold that land, that's going to sell for a lot. One time, Kathy and I, we, we flew out west. I wanted to see the Grand Canyon for the first time. So we flew to Las Vegas, and, and uh, near the end, after seeing uh, Grand Canyon and uh, things, we we'll go back to Las Vegas, and we had a day, and I was talking to a lady, and she was talking about how much per acre land sells there in Las Vegas? Like $18 million. I mean, it's $18 million. I mean, $5,000 would be really expensive. You probably get land cheaper than that around, you know, rural Rockcastle County, especially the hilly uh, hillsides. You can get, get cheaper than that, but $18 million. But here you have Joseph making this tremendous sacrifice. Why? Because love truly does exist. Now, when Ananias and Sapphira try to mimic the same thing, notice there in verse 4. They sell a land, they bring the money, and they pretend like they give every bit, like Joseph did. But they kept back part of it. See, they were being dishonest. They were lying about it. And Peter says, while it remained, was it not your own? Yes. It was their land. It was their property. It was, it was under their power. And after it was sold, was it not in your own money? When, when, when they, had, they had this money in their hand that they sold the property for, okay, it was theirs. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. Yeah, sometimes people make bad choices like Ananias and Sapphira. But there are people like Joseph that truly do, that truly do have genuine love. Love really does exist in the world. Well, let's look at one more area of the evidence that love exists. Whoever was that wrote this graffiti on the wall in La Machi, Chile, saying love doesn't exist, it does. And that is when you think about God's love for mankind. 
I mean, think about that. God's love for mankind. The, the golden text of the Bible that so many people around the world. I remember I was in the Philippines. For, well, the first time I was in the Philippines, this, this little kid, maybe, I don't know, six or seven years old. And, of course, their, their native tongue is Tagalog, the national language. And she memorized John 3 and verse 16 in English. They, 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 they do learn English and also in the Philippines. And a lot of people speak it. But she could quote the verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, that, that's awesome. That is the golden text. God truly does love us. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing to think how much God loves us. And that's, that's what we see when we think about God's love for mankind. God sent His Son, Jesus. Paul talks about this love in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, that is, we were weak, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So here are people that are weak, here are people that are ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, sinners, Christ died for us. So here Paul describes people that are weak, that are ungodly, that are sinners. Weak and godly sinners, what do we have? Christ dying for us. That's the manifestation of God's love for us. It's tremendous. It's tremendous evidence that, yes, love does exist. Now, whoever it was that wrote this graffiti in La Macha, Chile, oh, love doesn't exist. No, they haven't, they haven't studied, they haven't considered God's love for mankind. Look over in the Gospel of Matthew. A couple of texts over there as we bring our lesson here to the close here. In Matthew chapter 26, I want you to notice there in verse, uh, Matthew chapter 26, and beginning there in verse 51 where um, Jesus and the disciples are in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Judas has uh, brought the band of people to come and arrest him, etc., Peter pulls out a sword and he swipes off the ear. Notice there uh, of the servant of the, of the high priest. And behold, one of them who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. I take it what happened is that he was slinging the sword and the guy ducked and said, whack the ear off. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again your sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Think you not that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? A legion was, uh, in the Roman army, was uh, 6,000 men. So a legion of angels would be 6,000 angels. Twelve legions would be, multiply that, 72,000 angels. Don't you think that I could ask God, say, Lord, send an angel to help. And he could send 72,000. He could send 720,000. He could send 720 million. One would have been sufficient. And you go back in the story where God sent an angel to smite the Assyrians, and 100, 185,000 Assyrians died in one night. That's how powerful angels are. He says, But how then shall the Scripture be fulfilled that thus it be must? That thus it must be. All right, so what's the point? When Jesus died, 
It wasn't something, oh, now, just, it's just, this, this has got away from me, and I can't stop it. No, he could have stopped it at any moment. He had the power, but he didn't exercise the power to stop it. And the reason why is because he loved us that he goes to the cross. Now look in Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, beginning there in number 26. Matthew chapter 27, verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. That was the color of royalty. It was just had mockery and contempt for Jesus. And when they planted a crown of thorns, here, not a crown, not a crown of gold and silver and precious stones, but a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and a reed in his hand, not a golden scepter, but a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then look at verse 30. Every time I ponder about this, I know how many times I've read this through the, through the years. And it still impresses me. I mean, just think. Think in your mind. There's Jesus. Uh, here they are making fun of him. They're making light of him. And keep in mind, he had the power to call for angels. and just, I mean, just wipe these people out. I mean, just in an instant. Be done with them. And they spit upon him. And just spit upon him. I mean, you can hear the sound. You, you, can, you can see the spit falling down off his face. And they took the reed and struck him on the head with this crown of thorn. Bung! Bang him right on top of the head with that, uh, uh, thorn, uh, that uh, crown that was thorny. And that would stick, with, uh, stick within his flesh. And after they had mocked him, that is, they're making fun of him, they took the robe off him and put his own robe, his own clothes up on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to the place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. This gall, some suggest, some sort of opium compound. It was kind of a soured wine with... Uh, with, uh, laced with drugs is what's suggested, would make sense. And it would be kind of a, as a painkiller. You think, oh, well, with a, they're just showing a little bit of compassion. No, they weren't showing any compassion at all. Is that they wanted people to kind of be a little bit numb so they didn't die real quick from shock. The Romans, they, they had this, this, this crucifixion thing, they had it down like a science. They wanted people to suffer a long, agonizing death. But Jesus tasted, but he would not drink. It, which is to show that he could have. He could have could accepted this painkiller, but he didn't. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they did cast lots. And so here Jesus was crucified. For those outside, we have a silhouette of Jesus hanging up on the cross. Love does exist. Just look at the cross. If you've never seen these other examples of, of love, you definitely can see it. Jesus died on the cross for weak and godly sinners like you and me. 
Jesus really does love us. God really does love us. And the manifestation of that was Jesus went to the cross. And so we're going to extend the invitation. As you think about the cross, all of us think about the cross. You know, you think about the love of Jesus that's calling us. It's calling us to come. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And so if, if, we, if we will just think about this great love, it's, it's going to compel us. It's going to move us to want to do his will and follow after him. And we would encourage you to step out in the plan of salvation, hearing this good news, the love of God for you. Be willing to believe this message with all your heart. Be willing to repent, confess, and to be baptized. Immerse in water. You've got a pool of water up here. You could be baptized even this hour. And enjoy and bask in the great love of God. And come up out of that watery grave and grow and be faithful. And then if you've erred, to come back. Come back to the love of God. God's love and mercy is still extended that Jesus died on the cross. He hung there on the cross. Nailed to the cross. He was held there, not by nails. He was held there by love. Those nails could have been yanked out and he could have been taken back to heaven. I mean, he could have escaped all the pain. But he didn't because love truly does exist. If we can help you in any way, you come and let us know how we can help and we'll be glad to assist you as we stand and as we sing.